Uh, we've been at a pretty important uh, turning point in the book of Acts over the last couple of weeks, and today we continue there. So we've been going through the book of Acts, and uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can open it up to the book of Acts chapter 11. If you haven't been here over the last couple of weeks, what we've seen is in Acts chapter 10, we see uh, a life-changing moment for one man and his friends and relatives that's going to turn into a a church-changing moment, a history-changing moment, way beyond that one family. So Cornelius is a Gentile, which just means a non-Jewish person, okay? And, And most of the believers, most of those who have turned from their sin and trusted in Jesus at this point are Jewish. They have Jewish roots. But now, this this Gentile, he's not the first one we've seen saved. We saw an Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 saved as well. But now, God has saved this Gentile man. And really what's kind of happening in him saving, even though he was a good, religious, God-fearing man, he still needed to hear the gospel, turn from his sin and be saved. And when God does just that, the, the Holy Spirit is poured out on Gentiles, and now the church is kind of at a turning point. This is kind of like a hinge point, and, and, and the door now is being swung wide open to this great inpouring of God's, outpouring of God's Spirit, and an inpouring of Gentiles into the family of God, okay? So that's kind of what's happening in Acts chapter 10, and the church is going to have to figure out how this is going to work, but there's some tension. The tension is that the church made up mostly of Jewish Christians who have spent their lives being conditioned uh, and learning to be holy by separating themselves from Gentiles are now going to have to deal with the fact that God's plan includes the grafting in of Gentiles into the family of God. So these people they were trying to avoid and stay away from that they might not become unclean are now a part of their family. And they've got to figure out how this is going to work. So, I think it's uh, certainly important to look at it as far as church history goes and how the Spirit of God continues to build the church of God for the glory of God even in our day. But what we're going to see happen in this passage is this. We're going to see the initial response of many of the believers be criticism. There's the real potential of the church becoming divided over differences in how to handle this new work that God is doing. It's a real possibility. But by God's grace, we're going to see by the end of the passage, instead the church is going to be in a spot not of criticism, but of celebration. Not of division, but of unity, so that the work of God can continue in and through the church of God for the glory of God. So, Pretty big passage that we're going to look at today. I'm excited to look at it. It's going to have some impact, I think, on us. uh, Because I think we're going to be forced to recognize that we live in a time where there's all sorts of differences between people that threaten to divide even those within the church. That threaten to divide the church from people outside of the church who desperately need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want us to be a church that grows in gospel-grounded, God-glorifying unity with one another as we take on the mission that God has given to us. We can't do that on our own. So we need to pray and ask God to work through His Word in our hearts even now. If you're able to, would you stand as I pray and then read the very Word of God? Father, we do. Uh, We do. We just need Your help. I'm thankful that Your Spirit worked through uh, 
these believers at this time that your spirit worked in Luke, that he would write down this account, every word of it. And I thank you that your spirit continues to be at work over two millennium, building up your church for your glory. And we know that comes sometimes with a bit of pain, with with the convicting work of the Holy Spirit to people with critical hearts and critical tongues like mine, who find it easier to make a comment of criticism than to celebrate. God, change us, shape us, make us molded according to your word by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So God's word says this, Acts chapter 11, we'll read verses 1 through 18 today. Now, The apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey, reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent, in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, "Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter." He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Amen. You can be seated. So I mentioned we're going to see a move in this passage from criticism to celebration. Word had gotten around. Peter, remember, told us at the end of chapter 10 that after Peter preached the gospel, the people got saved, the Holy Spirit's poured out on them, the people are baptized, and they asked Peter if he would stick around for a few days, because they don't know anything. They need to grow as disciples of Jesus. And so Peter presumably stays around for a few days. We don't know how long. But by the time it's time for Peter to return from the mission trip, a mission report has already spread. Word has gotten out about about what happened to the Gentiles. And you would think that if word has gotten out that, hey, listen, some people who were lost are now found. Some people who were dead are now alive. Some people who, who were in the darkness are now in the light. God is saving more people. You'd expect the church to say, amen, praise the Lord. Right? 
But what happens? Verse 1 told us the apostles who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And instead of saying, Amen, praise the Lord. Here's what happens. Verse 2. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, or yours might say those of the circumcision, which I think is a better translation, criticized him. They criticized him. Instead of celebrating with him the work that God had done, they are criticizing him. Now, it says it was members of the circumcision party. When it says it that way, it makes us think of like some organized movement, some political party known as the circumcision party. I always vote circumcision, right? No, it's not that. It's, it's people who have been circumcised, most of the believers at that time, because they were Jewish by ethnic background and religious upbringing, had been circumcised. Because the Old Testament sign of the covenant between God and His people was the sign of circumcision. This would identify people as God's own people. And so this is how they had been brought up. And so there are those who are circumcised and now have repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus. So we would call them Jewish Christians, right? New believers, relatively new believers, most of them Jewish in background. But they're criticizing. So, so rather than celebrating, they're criticizing. Why are they critical? Verse 3, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? That's what they're upset about, Right? So, so I, I, you just imagine, maybe some of you have been, uh, had an opportunity. Maybe it was a mission trip. Maybe it was just a normal work of God in everyday life where you're kind of on a spiritual high because you've been in a place where God has clearly been at work, right? You've seen God do this, this new and amazing work. You're all excited. You come back home. You expect people to share your excitement. And what does Peter get when he gets back home? Hey. You've been eating with Gentiles? Right? He gets criticized. Right? Right? He had, he had a pork tenderloin sandwich with the wrong people. Right? That's what happened. And so, you know, I, I liken it to this. Uh, so right now I'm helping coach a little league team. Um, and, uh, you know, you just the, the excitement of, of sports for people that like sports. For some of you, like, they're not exciting at all. Right? But I think they are. And the excitement that comes with the game of baseball, I just imagine a kid on a little league team who's just had a really good game, right? Got to bat three times, got two doubles and a single, made some great plays in the field. He's all excited. The team won in the, you know, in the final inning. They came back and they won. It's an exciting kind of thing. The kid's all on top of the world, comes out and, and expects to be greeted with congratulations. And his dad says to him, hey, you should have backed up that throw to second base. The kid's shoulders would just slump. <laughs> like all that just happened and you should have backed up the throw to second base? That's kind of what I think Peter's feeling here. He just saw the, the Holy Spirit poured out on the Gentiles. And he gets back like, hey, you were eating with, you were eating with Gentiles? So, so what's Peter going to do? Now, before we get to, uh, here, here's what's easy. Whether it be Pharisees or disciples or whoever, it's easy to kind of like come down hard on people and say, like, oh, how could they? But, but let's keep in mind, there's a genuine struggle going on here. And the genuine struggle comes from this tension. That these people, being raised as Jewish people, 
are just trying to figure out what's right because they have God's Word. And in places like Exodus chapter 19, they find out that this distinction between Jew and Gentile, that was important. That's not just something they made up. God made a distinction between Jew and Gentile. And that was important for them to be holy, to remain separate from people. I just put a couple passages up there, but there's a lot more than that. But here's, here's the tension. The other thing that's happened is this genuine concern for biblical holiness had gotten mixed together with some unbiblical prejudice. Okay? Those things had gotten mixed So they had been brought up to think, many of them, of non-Jewish people or Gentiles in such a way that they would even refer to them sometimes as dogs, but they had missed part of God's plan for the full inclusion of the Gentiles. Okay, This is not a brand new thing in the New Testament. This was God's plan all along. We see God's plan for the full inclusion of the Gentiles way back in Genesis chapter 12 in the promise to Abram. We see it in places like Psalm 67, Isaiah 49, 6. So, So because though of some of their prejudices against Gentile people, they were missing this. Probably not unlike the way that Christians in our own nation used the Bible to justify ownership of other human beings and mistreatment of them as just property during slavery or through ongoing oppression into the 20th century. I've got a picture up there of, uh, of a Ku Klux Klan meeting underneath a banner saying Jesus saved. Like, we were messed up too, right? So, so before we quickly come down hard on these people, like, well, how could they be, how could they be rejecting this whole set of people and, and not acknowledging God's work among them? There's this throughout church history, not just in the first century in the book of Acts, right? Jesus came to die, not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. That was the message that they needed to be getting out. That the cup that they drank in remembrance of Jesus was the new covenant in his blood. But so far their response is not celebration, but criticism. So here, here Peter's, at a, Peter's at a spot where he's got to make a decision. Okay, I'm excited. They just killed my joy by criticizing me for eating with Gentiles. What do I do now? Because probably even just a few days ago, Peter thought just like them, right? Does he kind of try to maintain his reputation as an apostle and just say, oh, you don't, you're right, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have eaten with them. I didn't have any business proclaiming the gospel to those people. I shouldn't have been with them. I should have just stayed. Like, could he do that? Yeah, he could have done that. But what does Peter do instead? We're not going to go over this in as much detail, but what Peter does is he retells, this is starting in verse 4 now, a retelling of God's work in both the Gentiles and in himself. Peter simply shares what happened. What we have in verses 4 through 15 is like Peter's summary of what we looked at over the last couple of weeks in Acts chapter 10. Okay? That's why we're not going to go over it in as much detail, but I do want to note a couple of things that I think are worth noting as we look at Peter's retelling of Acts chapter 10. Peter begins from his own perspective by sharing about this vision. That's the majority of his retelling. From verses 4 all the way to verse 10, it's Peter retelling of this vision that God had given him. Remember the vision was about clean, unclean animals. He he tells them about the sheets and the rise, Peter, kill and eat. We see that there in chapter 11, verse 
Yeah, verse 7, okay? And then he responds, he, he tells them, I responded, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. So at this point, those of the circumcision party are probably thinking, good job, Peter. You, you, you're, you're holding on, you're, you're saying no. Like, I don't eat that stuff. Don't tell me to eat that stuff. I don't eat that stuff, right? But then Peter goes on in telling the story. Verse 9, the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean do not call common. And he tells them this happened three times and all was drawn up again into heaven. And we were told in chapter 10, Luke tells us that Peter was still perplexed. It's not like he had the vision and he's like, ah, I got it, right? Total shift of worldview in just a few moments through a vision. That's not what happens. What happens is Peter's up on the rooftop trying to figure out what just happened, right? He's just, he's up there still. It says inwardly perplexed in chapter 10. And it just so happens that at that time, God had orchestrated the details in such a way that there are people at the gate, three men sent from Caesarea by Cornelius who sent them because God had sent an angel to tell him to send them. They just happened to show up at just the right time. And so that's what Peter tells them next in verse 11. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. These men are Gentiles, and they're invi- they, they told Peter the story of what happened there. And remember, they're inviting Peter to come with them. So here's what he says in verse 12. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. Okay? So here's where he's getting to kind of the controversial part of the story. This is a Gentile, and I went into his house. This, again, this makes the blood pressure of some of these guys rise a little bit, like you did what? You went into there, right? So that, that's probably what they're thinking at this point. Peter's just sharing the story. The detail he adds that, that uh, he said he took some brothers with him in, in chapter 10. Here he adds the detail. It was six of them, okay? So Peter took six brothers with him. So what he was about to experience in Caesarea... What he experienced, it wasn't just him that saw that. It was six brothers with him. Seven of them can testify to this is what happened. And then he tells them, again, retells them uh, in verses 13 and 14 about what happened to Cornelius. It all started when Cornelius had an angel coming to him and told him to go send for Peter. So he just retells that there in verses 13 and 14. But then the conclusion of the retelling is this. Verse 15, he says... As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. So Peter's just saying it like it was. And this was the moment that that all their jaws would have dropped as they see. And when he says the just as on us, he's referring to us, the Jewish Christians, who had experienced, we read about in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls on all of these Jewish people who had turned to, turned to Jesus, right? And he's saying, what I saw in Caesarea, it was the same thing. That Holy Spirit who fell on us, that's what happened. It fell on them just as on us at the beginning. Right? So this is a monumental shift. The Holy Spirit not just falling on Jewish people, but on Gentiles as well. And so Peter just tells them, that's what happened. And I got these six guys. We were like, we all saw it. And then 
we're going to hear about Peter's response. Okay? All right. So this is point number three, Peter's response. Responding to God's work among the Gentiles. So Cornelius and his Gentile relatives and friends, they were converted on that day. Major life change for Cornelius and his relatives and friends. But this was also, like I said, something like some kind of second conversion moment for Peter as well. God had work to do in Peter. He had had work to do in Peter to help him to see God's plan included the Gentiles. And so I love verses 16 and 17. Because it's just Peter giving his testimony of, here's the work God was... So here's the work God did in Caesarea and all those Gentiles, but here's the work God did in me. Verses 16 and 17, they say this, And I remembered the word of the Lord. Remember, Peter had walked with Jesus for three years. So he remembered some things that Jesus said. I remembered the word of the Lord. God's helping him put all this stuff together in his head while it's happening. How he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay? He remembered that Jesus had said something about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Right? So he's putting all this together. Like this, this thing that's happening to the Gentiles, Peter's putting it together in his head. Like Jesus said this was going to happen. Right? And then I love this verse, verse 17. Listen to this. If then, this is bold for Peter to say this. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's putting Gentiles and Jews on the same playing field. Like, listen to what happened. God gave them the same gift as he gave to us when they believed in the Lord. That's what we have in common. We both believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, God gave us the same gift, the same salvation, the same Holy Spirit, Jew and Gentile, coming on both. And then listen to what he says. The end of verse 17. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? I love that. Peter's defense before them is, listen, I'm just telling you what I saw. And what I saw is God saved them just like he saved us. What do you want me to do? Stand on the train tracks and put my arm out and try to stop the train from moving? Who am I to stand in God's way? God's at work doing something way bigger than me and you and Cornelius and everybody else. God's at work doing a big thing. What do you want me to do? Stand in the way? Have an argument about pork tenderloin sandwiches? About who I can eat lunch with and who I'm not supposed to eat lunch with? You want to do that? No. Who was I to stand in God's way? God's at work doing something. All right. Now we've got to find out. Remember, at the beginning of the passage, the response of the people was criticism. How are they going to respond now that Peter's retold the story and Peter shared the story of here's what God was doing in me? Look at, listen to verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Yes. Right? These people who had started by just being critical, because it's easy, isn't it? Isn't it easy to be critical? Hey, they're not doing things my way. They're not doing things the way I want them to be done. I don't think he should be, Right? Instead of that, they've now moved to this spot where it says first they fell silent. They shut their mouths for a while. And then they glorified God, saying, 
then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. That's easy for us to read. You know how hard that might have been for a Jewish believer to say? (laughs) All of these years of being brought up to kind of keep their distance from these Gentiles, now now they're rejoicing. Why are they rejoicing? Because God has done the same thing in them that he's done to us. He's given them the gift of repentance that leads to life. Repentance is just this gift from God of, of causing us to be no longer chained up by our sin, no longer enslaved to our sin, but being set free that we could turn away from sin and turn to Jesus. God had done that for Jews and now also for Gentiles. And so the church has moved from criticism to celebration. So in Acts chapter 10, the church really came to a fork in the road. It seems at the beginning of chapter 11 that the church is in danger of being divided by their differences. Right? Doesn't it? The church has been quick to criticize. There's a fork in the road. And, you know, before we get to that, just some application. Would you say maybe that divided by differences and quick to criticize might be how some would describe the world we live in today? Whether it be politics or race or vaccines or masks or whatever, there are opinions that have become strong enough to divide. There are ways of doing things that have caused division between people. Maybe, maybe it's like, you know, flat-out arguments. It's good to have a, a disagreement and to have a discussion about it. Hopefully in a way that can lead to fruit. What I've found more and more personally, and if any of you are like my friends on Facebook or anything, I've, I, I, so I'm on Twitter and I've never tweeted a single thing in my life, and on Facebook I pretty much share stuff about our church. <laughs> because I've found that social media is not probably the best place to start, engage in, or, uh, or, or uh, really, yeah, engage in uh, a debate. And as I read things on there more and more, that's what I see more and more it's used for, is just a debate. And I never walk away like, man, I feel really built up <laughs> by that. Like, that was nice. Man, I just, I love people more now. Um, instead, it's like social media gets used as a place for people to vent their frustrations express their opinions, and show you what they grilled, right? Um, That makes me happy when I see what other people grilled. (laughs) Um, But other than that, uh, not a lot is all that encouraging to me. It's a place where we often take a stand on all sorts of things that have little to no eternal significance. And while we might feel better for having gotten it off our chest or feel affirmed by people who like what we've shared What if we thought about all the people who are just observing? I've been thinking about that more. Like, what about when it comes to political election season? What about thinking about all the lost people who would vote differently than us? Is it good to start a conversation with them by letting them know that I think they're an idiot? What about people who have a different opinion about masks or racial justice or police reform or whatever it might be. Maybe it's fellow Christians just trying to figure out what they believe or new Christians trying to figure out what it looks like to be a Christian. What if we asked ourselves this question before posting or sharing or 
saying something. Put the question on the board, on the screen, on the board. I'm not a teacher. I don't have a board. Will this help my witness to the lost and help unify me with other believers in God-glorifying gospel-grounded mission? That would be a good question to ask, a good filter to run things through. Will this help me in my witness to the lost and help unify me with other believers in God-glorifying gospel-grounded mission? What if we decided, like, I'm going to use my words. However I share my words, whether it's on social media or in, like, with real people, what if I use my words to celebrate what God is doing among all kinds of people rather than risk increasing the division that might be getting in the way of the work that God is doing among all kinds of people? Church, God is at work. And I don't want us to be described as people divided by differences and quick to criticize. But, but instead to be known as people not so much about uh, what we think about each little issue, but people who are unified in God-glorifying, gospel-grounded mission. People who have disagreements with each other and work our way through them. Because what the goal is, we want to see people repent and turn, from, turn to Jesus. That's what we want. But I don't want to alienate people from me because I just want to share my opinion about this issue or that issue. So maybe we need to be people who pray that God help me to hold back my critical tongue more often because it's easy, isn't it? You know, like, man, kids come back from school and they share something. Man, it's easy to be critical of other kids or of what a teacher did, like whatever, right? It's easy to just be critical. That's, a, that's an easy first reaction. I don't want to be like, to, to, to watch this news story or to read about this issue and to be critical right away what if more often we were kind of like these people who started out critical but it says when they heard these things they fell silent (laughs) maybe that's what it looks like a little more often for us i'm grateful church that overall i think we're doing really well through a year with a pandemic and upheaval caused by all sorts of different things mark mentioned last week when he was up here that, that we've done pretty well I think we've done well because we've kept the main thing the main thing. We did the best we could to figure out how to meet together without putting others at risk. Some people probably thought we were way too cautious. Others thought we should have been more cautious than we were. Maybe you thought during last year I should have said more or something about the presidential election. Maybe you would have liked the sermon series on biblical justice. But rather maybe than being quick to criticize because it wasn't done our way. It would be good to just pause and celebrate and glorify God because he's been at work, right? Praise God. A whole bunch of us are sitting in this room together today, generally unified with one another because we've kept the main thing the main thing. So people that have doubts and questions, I've seen this over this last year, doubts and questions, people are talking to each other about it. That's great. Hurting people are finding others in the church who will love them and care for them and point them to Jesus. The gospel is being proclaimed. New members being added to the church. We're grateful. Maybe it looks like us sharing our opinions left. Believe me, I have opinions on a lot of things and I like to argue and I like to win arguments. But I've been learning to share them less and less because here's something I read. Opinions are like noses. Everybody has one, but it usually has a couple of holes in it. And I want to more and more be like Peter, who had once thought things like circumcision and food laws were so important. But as he sees a work that God is doing, he resolves, 
I'm not going to get in the way of that. I'm not going to let this get in the way of the work that God is doing. Who was I that I could stand in God's way is the way that Peter says it. So we live in a world where people just like to speak their mind and whack people with their wit, and I can be guilty of that. So here's a couple passages I've just been kind of chewing on, and I'm not preaching a second sermon. I just, I'm going to read two passages and let the Holy Spirit do work that maybe needs to be done in us through them. One begins with the memory verse that Ron read just a little bit ago. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, the church in Ephesus is at a spot where they could have easily divided over all sorts of different things. And so Paul, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, emphasizes unity in the body of Christ. Right? The, chapter 4 is really all about that. I'm going to just read the last verses of chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 29, says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's not the way the world works, but that's the way people who have been filled with the Spirit of God can work. Let's be those kind of people. Let's look at one more. 2 Timothy chapter 2. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is writing to Timothy, and I think Timothy might have had Twitter, because Paul writes to him this. 2 Timothy 2 verse 23. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Isn't that the goal? I love how how Paul keeps that in front of Timothy. Here's the goal. The goal is not that you win your argument about whatever people are quarreling about in that day. The goal is that God would grant them repentance that leads to life. It's the same terminology that we see in Acts chapter 11, right? God granting them repentance. I think that's the main move that we see in Acts chapter 11. A church critical of the work that God is doing, turning into a church celebrating the work that God is doing. By resolving as a church not to get in the way of the work that God is doing. I think that's the same kind of thing that Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, that Paul is saying to Timothy, and I think the same kind of thing that we probably need to hear today as well. But there's one other thing I noticed in the passage that I want to hit quickly before we sing together. Back in Acts chapter 11, I couldn't help but notice this theme that's really throughout the whole Bible, but we see it pop up again here in Acts chapter 11. And that is this theme of God giving and us receiving. What is it that God gives and that the people receive in Acts chapter 11? Look at verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that, listen, the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Okay, That word received, I just did some, some looking up of that word today, that word received, it's not the same as like heard. 
Hearing the Word of God is different than receiving the Word of God. If you know football, it would be like this. There's a difference between being targeted with a pass as a wide receiver and having a reception as a wide receiver, right? The fact that the the quarterback could throw the ball at a wide receiver and it bounces off his hands or bounces off his jersey, that would be like hearing the Word of God, right? But here he's talking about the Gentiles not just hearing the Word of God, they're receiving the Word of God. You only get credit for a reception in football when you take that ball in your hands and you bring it to yourself, right? You, You pull it up against your body. You've taken it in. You've received it. That's what's happened with the Gentiles. They've not just heard the Word of God, they've received the Word of God. We too want to be people who received the Word of God. They just received it from Peter who was preaching to them on that day. They didn't have the whole New Testament available to them. We want to be people who have now all of the Scriptures available to us. We want to be people who not just hear the Word, but receive the Word, right? What else did God give and the people received? Number two, they received the Spirit. Verse 17, if then God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? God gave to the Gentiles the same gift. He gave them the gift of salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Just like He gave to the Jewish people, He gave to the Gentiles, right? So we need to not only receive the Word of God, but receive salvation that comes from God. How does that come? Right? When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, is what it says right there in Acts chapter 11, verse 17. And also, notice verse 18. Same language as we just saw in 2 Timothy 2. Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. God also gives to undeserving sinners this gift of repentance, freeing them from their sin, giving them new life in Christ that they might turn from their sin and trust in Jesus. God giving them that gift. So if you're a Christian today, It's because you have received the Word of God. You received salvation from God by believing in Jesus. You've received the Holy Spirit. You received the gift of repentance. And if you're here today and you have not received any of those gifts, I would ask you, like, there's not this long list of like, here's all the things I got to do to get included in the family. Like, this is a long list. Like, no. What you do to get included in the family, to become a child of God, is you receive Jesus. That's the way John says it. In John chapter 1, verse 12, John says, when, uh, where is it? Yep, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Right? So if you have not yet received Jesus, I ask you today to, to receive him, to acknowledge before him that you're a sinner and, and there's nothing on a list that you can check off that would cause you to be acceptable before God in his sight. But Jesus, who is perfectly righteous and perfectly acceptable to God, has died in your place, has been buried and raised from the dead, so that all who trust in him are united to him by faith, buried with him in his, in his death and raised in his resurrection, right? New life in Christ is what you can have today by simply receiving the Lord Jesus. You want to talk more about that? I'd love to talk to you about that. All right, it's a good passage. I'm kind of excited about it. And my voice is getting hoarse. It's easy though, church, isn't it, to be critical? I, I think I'm right most of the time on most things. And I've, even in arguments with people, including my wife, told her, like, hey, 
if I didn't think I was right, then I wouldn't care so much about this, right? Like, but I, I think I'm right. So that's, but not everything that I think I'm right about, am I really right about? And more frequently, I probably need to recognize, I need to, I need to be silent a little more. And maybe on this issue, it's not worth, it may be worth a conversation, but can I have that in a way that builds up and is seasoned with grace? It's really easy to be critical, church. That's what we saw here in Acts chapter 11. Their first response was not celebration, but criticism. But I'm grateful that God got them to a place where as they saw the work that God was doing through the bold testimony of one man and six others with him saying, no, God really does this kind of thing, that they were willing to say, all right, we'll put away our concerns about who you're eating with and these things and recognize that God is doing a, big, a much bigger thing. And I'm not going to stand on the train tracks and try to stop it with my outstretched arm. God calls us to a mission, a mission that is grounded in the gospel, that is glorifying to God, and that requires us being united together as one. I'm grateful that that's where our church is at, and I pray that that's where our church will stay. We need help, so let's pray. Father, we do need your help with that. We just confess how easy it is for us to, out of critical hearts, say critical words that tear down and divide rather than give grace and build up. God, we want to be people that give grace and build up. We want to be people that see how you're at work in us, around us, and all around the world, and we want to happily join together in that work. But Father, we acknowledge how hard it is to get to kind of get over some of our own stuff. But I thank you that it's not hopeless because you have sent your Holy Spirit to dwell in us. That Jesus who, prom- who told us to go and make disciples said, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God, we thank you for that promise that Jesus is with us and even in us by the Holy Spirit. So I pray um, that you would help us to think about that And rejoice in that as we sing uh, this closing song. And then as we go throughout the rest of our week. In Jesus' name, amen.